0: This is our ongoing discussion of Don's Individuation in Light of Notions of Form and Information. We're starting from page 291 of the translation, so we're on the part on psychical individuation, uh, and then the We're just going to start the chapter, Psychical Individuation and the Problematic of Ontogenesis. Last time we looked at the the last section of the previous chapter, which had to do with affection and its relation with, we have these sort of two series. We have the series that goes from affection to emotion. And then we have the series that goes from sensation to perception. And then those two series have to be united uh, in, in the collective. So we saw an extended development on... Um, the tropistic character of sensation. Uh, So sensation is always uh, a relationship of the individual to some sort of gradient in the environment. And there's a a sort of unity between the sensation and the response. Psychology that focuses solely on one side or the other is sort of breaking down this unified tropistic uh, nature of sensation uh, and and so whether it's a behaviorism that only looks at the response side or the a sort of introspective psychology that only looks at the sensation side, either way you're you're sort of breaking up this unity of the tropistic nature of sensation. And then likewise, affectivity also has this relation to something like a gradient but in time rather than outside of the individual. So, Affectivity is is a, a sort of relation of the individual to the lifespan of that individual. So it's an insertion into a lifespan. There is a, a sort of a temporal structure that uh, that affectivity is inserted into. And then affectivity affectivity and sensation are both um, sort of partial. They they have this partial character that is only resolved through unification. So multiple different sensations each sensation defines a a sort of dimension or a a polarization of of the world Um, and it's only through the unification of multiple multiple sensation sensation dimensions that you end up with something like a an object a perception of an object and likewise with affection you have um, these multiple gradients or multiple Polarizations into pleasure and pain, or joy and sadness, or um, whatever sets of uh, opposed affective states. And then it's only through a, a process of unification. That you results that you have emotion as a result which is a, a sort of consistent state where whereas the affective states are are uh, transitory in a some sense so the uh, emotion has this property of persistence so that you an individual who is in a certain emotional state will tend to continue to be in that emotional state whereas affectivity doesn't have that same continuity to it uh, and then we saw the last bit of the chapter was a little bit Difficult to uh, fit, fit together with some of the other previous parts because he, he suggests in that last half page or so, he suggests that perception and emotion are activities that can be carried out at the level of the individual, whereas previously he had said that emotion is, is not something that the individual can carry out on their own. He, so he suggests that perception and emotion are, are carried out at the level of the individual And then uh, they have to, the unification of perception and emotion is what happens at the level of the collective. Uh, So it seems like there's sort of a a slippage of sense of uh, what he's talking about with emotion, whether it's specifically the the individual side of emotion, so uh, emotion insofar as it as it occurs in an, in an individual or emotion, as something more collective, something that an individual only has insofar as they're inserted into a collective. So there, there's sort of this movement between these two senses. But the the bigger picture is that the unification of The whole psychic apparatus or the unification of the emotional side and the perceptual side only happens at the level of the collective and not at the level of the individual. So that's more or less where we left off. Okay, so I'll I'll start uh, reading from the beginning of uh, the new chapter, and then we can go around from there. Psychical Individuation and the Problem of Ontogenesis, Section 1, Signification as Criterion of Individuation. The difference between signal and signification is important because it constitutes an accurate and essential criterion for the distinction between a veritable individuation or individualization and the functioning of a non-individuated subset. Static criteria, like those of material limits and those of the body of each individual, are not sufficient. Certain cases, e.g. association, parasitism, and gestation, cannot be studied using spatial or purely somatic criteria in the usual, i.e. anatomical, physiological sense of the term. According to the distinction between signals and signification, we will say that there is an individual when there is a process of real individuation, i.e. when significations appear. The individual is that through which and in which significations appear, whereas there are only signals between individuals. The individual is the being that appears when there is signification, Reciprocally, there is signification only when an individuated being appears or persists in the being undergoing individualization. The genesis of the individual corresponds to the resolution of a problem that could not be resolved in accordance with the previous data, since they had no axiomatic in common. The individual is the self-constitution of a topology of the being that resolves a previous incompatibility via the appearance of a new systematics. What was tension and incompatibility becomes functioning structure. Fixed and fruitless tension becomes an organization of functioning. Instability is transformed into an organized metastability that is perpetuated and stabilized in its capacity to change. The individual is therefore a spatiotemporal axiomatic of the being that makes compatible previously antagonistic data in a system with temporal and spatial dimensions. The individual is a being that becomes, according to its structure, in time, and is structured according to its becoming. Tension becomes tendency. What merely depended on the instant before individuation becomes order in the successiveness of the continuous. The individual is what introduces a system according to space and time, with a mutual convertibility of order according to space, structure, and of order according to time, becoming, tendency, development, and aging. In a word, function. Signals are spatial or temporal. A signification is spatial-temporal. It has two senses, one with respect to a structure and the other with respect to a functioning, functional becoming. Significations constitute something of the individual being, though they require a preliminary existence of the partially individuated being. A being is never completely individualized. To exist, it must have the power to continue individualizing by resolving the problems of the milieu that surrounds it, and that is its milieu. The living being is a being that perpetuates itself by exerting a resolving action on the milieu. It brings with it the initiations of resolution, since it is alive. But when it effectuates these resolutions, it effectuates them at the limit of its being and thereby continues the individuation. This individuation after the initial individuation is individualizing for the individual to the extent that it is resolving for the milieu. According to this manner of viewing individuation, specific psychical operation would be a discovery of significations in an ensemble of signals. Since signification would extend the being's initial individuation, and in this sense, have a rapport both to the ensemble of exterior objects as well as to the being itself. Insofar as it contributes a solution to a plurality of signals, a signification has a bearing toward the exterior. But this exterior is not foreign to the being as the result of an individuation. This is because before the individuation, this being was not distinct from the ensemble of the being that separated into milieu and individual. In the same way, the discovery of a significative solution has a bearing toward the interior of the being and increases for it the intelligibility of its relation to the world. The world is merely the individual's complementary with respect to an initial individuation. Individualization continues individuation. Each thought, each conceptual discovery, each affective emergence is a recurrence of the initial individuation. Each develops as a recurrence of the schema of the initial individuation of which it is a distant, partial, but faithful rebirth. If knowledge rediscovers the lines that allow the world to be interpreted according to stable laws, this is not because of the subject, sorry, this is not because in the subject there are a priori forms of sensibility whose coherence with the raw data emerging from the world through sensation would be inexplicable. This is because the being as subject and the being as object arise from the same initial reality and because the thought that now seems to establish an inexplicable relation between the object and the subject, in fact, merely extends this initial individuation. The conditions of possibility of knowledge are, in fact, the individual being's causes of existence. Uh, let's stop there. Mm-hmm. This is one of these giant um, power graphs with no good stopping point, but um, let's stop there. So here we have... Um, this introduction of uh, a new notion that we haven't seen in previous parts of the book, which is individualization, um, which is a, a sort of prolonging of the process of individuation. So, uh, a, a process of individuation always is is always partial in the sense that uh, there's always something pre-individual that remains after the process of individuation, um, and so individualization is a a sort of secondary or um prolonged process of of individuation Uh, so it it takes something pre-individual uh in the milieu surrounding the individual and it it undergoes a a further process of individuation Uh, and we'll see more on um what exactly that means uh, and sort of what the relationship is between uh, individuation and individualization. Uh, we'll see more as we go along, um, but um, you can already see here um, there. There's um, and we'll see more as we go along too. But he's already contrasting the position that he's setting out here with um, the Kantian position, so. Um, He he suggests that uh, Kant's position, according to which there's um, a priori forms of sensibility uh, that are imposed in some sense on uh, on sensations um, or um, uh, some sort of effect of the world on the subject. Uh, So this position uh simon thinks is is not a coherent one um because it doesn't explain how the um, how the sensations emerging from the effects of the world on me uh sort of line up or cohere with the um with the forms of sensibility that that inhere in me uh and and so instead what simon wants to argue is that uh, our our knowledge of the world or the the possibility of knowledge of the world has to do with the fact that uh, the subject and the object are both the results of the same uh, initial um, individuation process. So we we only know the world insofar as uh, as our individuation uh, and individualization are um, results of. This initial unity of uh, uh, of the individual with the world, or of uh, this initial pre-individual state out of which the the individual and the world will eventually emerge, uh, and we'll see more um, criticism of Kant or or of a Kantian position later on as well.
1: Um, do you think that this co-individuation of individual and world is at the vital level or at the psychic level or both i guess i I don't know i'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this idea that they emerge simultaneously and out of what i guess
0: yeah i think we'll see more on this in um subsection three of of this chapter so in that chapter, he's going to talk about, um, or sorry, in that subsection, he's going to talk about, um, by substantialism. So the, the doctrine of, uh, uh, the mind and the body as two separate substances that have some sort of interaction with each other. Um, and, and he's going to, uh, he's going to suggest that, um, uh, there isn't a psychic individuation in the proper sense, there's a psychic individualization. So um, the the vital uh, individuation, so uh, individuation happens at the level of vital individuation. So we, we have uh, uh, the formation of uh, an individual living being, um, and then it's only um, as a sort of secondary uh, prolongation of that individuation that we have something like psychic individualization. Um, so um, I think at a, as a sort of first approximation, we can think of individuation as vital individuation and then individualization as the psychic level. Um, although it'll become more complicated than that as we go along, but that's sort of like a first, um, a first go around. We can, um, we can start from that point.
2: I have a brief question. It seems early on that um, he favors the idea of um, becoming. And he doesn't give much um, explanation. Maybe privileges the uh, process of of becoming and an order according to time sees becoming as um, Uh, more entwined with time than space. Um, Early on, he says the individual is what introduces a system according to space and time with a mutual convertibility of order according to space, parentheses, structure, and of order according to time. And then he... Um, gives these various forms of of becoming, this process of time, like becoming, tendency, development, and aging. It seems like he um, finds those to be within the set of time. And uh, it's just interesting. I thought that he might be privileging becoming. um, And I'm not exactly sure what to make of that um, because maybe the, he says signals are spatial or, te- or temporal and the signification is spatio-temporal. So signification in its relation to becoming is spatio-temporal, but it's not, not exactly clear to me. He doesn't seem as of yet to flesh out what particularly is spatial so maybe he has and and you guys can clarify that
0: right i think um i think you're right that there is a a sort of privileging of the um of the temporal or or of the the notion of becoming um because he wants to um so the the sort of general method of this whole book is an ontogenetic method so it's trying to account for um trying to account for being uh, through its arising or through its genesis uh, and, and and that's the, the sort of general method but um, I think what he might say also is that um, and we saw this in the introduction and, and we'll see it again in the conclusion is that for for him time itself is something that arises that has a, a genesis so um, uh, when he talks about becoming um there's a sort of uh, dual sense to the to the word because it can mean the becoming in the sense of the arising of time or the genesis of time itself, which of course can't uh in turn be temporal um or it can mean becoming uh in the order of time so um like the development of a of an organism or something like that um so there, there's a sort of dual sense um a dual sense of becoming uh, in Simondon, um, yeah, and, and so yeah, Angus, that's right. He uh, for for Simondon, time is not something given; it's something that arises out of this initial pre-individual state. Um, we um, we uh, we thought that in the introduction, um, and it was it was sort of stated in passing or or not really emphasized that much in the introduction but i think we'll see it again in the conclusion That he'll he'll talk about time as something that has a genesis um yeah so i think that's that's how he would sort of answer that is that um genesis is a, a category that uh is more fundamental than than time uh and then uh time would be something like our apprehension of genesis or or we would we would only apprehend the genesis of a being through time but but um that genesis would not itself be temporal um and then angus had another question about um going back to this notion of um the relationship between individuation and individualization um And so the question is, uh, is our ability to understand the world, uh, is it a result of our initial vital individuation? And then would conceptual discoveries be recurrences of our vital genesis? Um, I think to some extent, the answer is yes. Uh, So um, of course, living beings, non-human animals have some sort of capacity to understand the world. they can identify, you know, predators and prey, or or um, potential mates, or um, you know, you know, home or um, not home, or or you know, different locations in an environment, and so on. Um, so they have this capacity to um, orient themselves towards different parts of the world and different objects in appropriate ways, uh, and and so. Um, that sort of basic capacity to, to understand the world in that sense, uh, is, is something that already arises with vital individuation. Um, and, and this is not even just animals, but, you know, bacteria, uh, even plants have, um, there's been some stuff on plant cognition, like plants will, um, orient themselves towards, uh, like, uh, resources in the environment, like the, the growth pattern of roots is a sort of exploratory pattern that finds uh, water and other uh, resources in the soil and, and things like that. So you have at a very basic level of uh, vital individuation, you already have some sort of understanding of the world uh, in, in a very broad sense. Um, and, uh, and so I think uh, even in human beings, I think um, that sort of basic understanding of the world or the basic orientation towards different aspects of the world is something that comes from vital individuation. Uh, And then um, you would have more uh, sophisticated or more elaborate um, sort of um, performances would be results of individualization, um, that, that, uh, prolongs, our, our initial vital individuation. Uh, okay. So let's go on to the next bit. Um, let's, uh, so I think I stopped right at the top of 293. So if we start from individualization differentiates beings, if someone else would like to read.
1: Uh, I can read. Individualization differentiates beings with respect to one another but it also weaves relations among them. It links them to one another because the schemata according to which uh, individuation follows its course are shared uh, by a certain number of circumstances that can be reproduced for several subjects. The de jure university of u- universality of knowledge is indeed a de jure universality. but This universality passes through The mediation of conditions of individualization, which are identical for all beings placed in the same circumstances and with the same foundations of individuation from the start. Because individuation is universal, uh, just like the foundation of the relation between subject and object, knowledge is validly given as universal. The opposition of the empirical subject and the transcendental subject overlaps that of the subject reached here and now at a certain result of its personal individualization and that of the same subject as expressing a single act carried out once and for all of individuation. The subject as the result of an individuation that it incorporates is a milieu of a prioris. The subject as the milieu an agent of the progressive discoveries of signification in the signals that come from the world is the principle of a posteriori. The individuated being is the transcendental subject, and the individualized being is the empirical subject. However, it is not absolutely, absolutely legitimate to attribute to the transcendental subject <clears throat> a responsibility in the choice of, of the empirical subject's character. The Transcendental Subject does not operate a choice, it is itself choice, the concretization of a founding choice of the being. Uh, This being exists to the extent that it is a solution, but it is not the being qua individual that existed prior to the choice and that is the principle of the choice. This is the Ensemble. The system from which this being has emerged and in which it did not pre exist as individuated. The notion of transcendental choice introduces individuality too far upstream. There is no transcendental character, and this is precisely why knowledge is universalizable. Problems are problems for the transcendental ego. And the sole character, the empirical character, is the set of these problem solutions. The schemata according to which problems can be resolved are true for every individuated being relative to the same mode of individuation, whereas the particular aspects of each solution contribute to to constructing the empirical character. The only character that is constituted is the empirical character. The transcendental subject is that through which there is a problem, but for there to be problems there must be experience, and the transcendental subject cannot operate a choice before all experience. There can be no choice of the principles of choice before the act of choice. We could call personality everything that connects the individual qua individuated being to the individual qua individualized being. The individualized being tends towards singularity and incorporates the accidental of singularity. The individual qua individuated being itself exists relative to the system of being from which it arises, on which it is formed. Uh, <coughs> sorry, on which it is formed, but it is not opposed to other individuals. Formed according to the same operations of individuation. Uh, should I just finish this section? Or should uh, I? Sure. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, the being, insofar as it is individualized, diverges from other beings that are individualized. By contrast, this mixture of individuation and individualization that constitutes personality is the differentiated and asymmetrical relation with others. A relation on the level of individuation is a relation of the sexuality type. A relation on the level of individualization is of the type concerning the contingent events of everyday life. Lastly, a relation on the level of personality is one that integrates sexuality and the events of the individual's history into a single situation. What constitutes the human concretely is neither pure individuation nor pure individualization, but a mixture of the two. The character that pure individualization would be is never a detached result. It only becomes so if this relational activity that the permanence of personality constitutes stop being able to unite individuation and individualization. In this sense, the unstable person, the uh, caractériel, I think, is not one who has troubles concerning their character, but one in whom the character tends to become detached, since the personality can no longer assume its dynamic role. What is ill in the unstable person is the personality, not the character. Personality is thus a relational activity between principle and result. Personality is what produces the being's unity between its foundations of universality and the particularities of individualization. The inter-individual relation is not always interpersonal. It is quite insufficient to appeal to a communication of consciousnesses to define the interpersonal relation. An interpersonal relation is a common mediation between the individuation and individualization of a being, and the individuation and individualization of another being. In order for this single mediation that is valid for two individuations and two individualizations to be possible, there must be a separate community of individuations and individualizations. The interpersonal relation does not exist on the level of constituted personalities, but on the level of the two poles of each of these personalities. The community cannot intervene after the personalities are constituted. A preliminary community of the conditions of the personality allows for the formation of a single mediation of a single personality for two individuations and two individualizations. This is why it is rare that the domain of the interpersonal is in fact veritably coextensive with the entire reality of each of the personalities. The interpersonal relation only involves a certain zone of each of the personalities. But the particular coherence of each of the personalities makes it seem like the community exists for the whole ensemble of the two personalities. The two personalities have a part that is veritably in common, but also a part that is not. The two parts that are not in common are joined by the part in common. This is a question of partial identity and of the connection through this identity, rather than a question of communication consciousnesses would not be enough to guarantee a communication there must be a communication of the conditions of consciousnesses for there to be a communication of consciousnesses
0: thanks uh yeah so there's a lot going on in in this bit so let's um let's go through it sort of in order um let's see where did we start on
2: yeah i was going to say there's like three different subtexts that he goes into three different parts
0: yeah there's definitely a um definitely a, at least three um we might be able to break it down even further than that um but yeah so let's start with um this bit on um the universality of knowledge um so this is uh again like the, i think this whole section is sort of uh riffing on Kant or in dialogue with Kant um and so this universality of knowledge uh was was part of the problem of uh what kant was trying to solve um with this idea of synthetic a priori knowledge um so the the question is what like our, our experience of the world is always only a particular event so you you i don't know you see the uh the match and then you see the fire um but you don't Ever see something like the universality that all matches uh, when struck uh, light or something like that? Um, you you only ever see particular events or experience particular events, um, but somehow we we are able to have knowledge of universals, uh, like all bodies are heavy or or something like that. Um, and and so Kant uh, argues that w- we have this. Synthetic a priori knowledge. So we have certain uh, knowledge that comes about not through experience, but through the conditions of experience. So uh, it, it's only because certain um, conditions are met that we can have anything like an experience at, at all. Uh, and that's sort of the basis of the, the universality of knowledge is, is through the, these conditions of experience. Um, so, Don is going to, um, I guess, give us a, a, an alternate explanation for the universality of knowledge. Um, so, it has to do not with the conditions of, of possibility of experience, but the conditions of individuation and individualization. So, um, individuation um, here has to do with uh, a sort of, First level um, uh, individuation, so it, it's it's the formation of something like a knowing subject in the first place, um, is is a, a, a process of individuation, um, whereas the formation of this particular person as a knowing subject or or who is a knowing subject, uh, is a process of individualization, um, and and then so he introduces. Um, or he takes these terms from Kant: the empirical subject and the transcendental subject. Um, and then, so the empirical subject is just a, a human being, um, as this particular human being. So, a person that has, you know, various um, uh, experiences and preferences and uh, uh, knowledge and and so on. Everything, uh, everything about this person is is particularized. Um Whereas the transcendental subject here is, um, is is the the human being insofar as uh, as they are a known subject, but not um, not particularized to um, um, to not not particularized to be one particular person. And so this, of course, raises the question of what the relationship is between this uh, empirical subject and the transcendental subject. Um, and again, Simon Simondon is going to um, sort of present an alternative to Kant's uh, presentation of this. So for Kant, uh, in the Critique of Practical Reason, he gives this... Uh, pretty weird explanation uh, of the relationship between empirical subject and transcendental subject. So the, the problem in, in that book that Kant, uh, or one of the problems that Kant wants to solve uh, in that book is um, if, if our moral choices in some sense depend on our character. Um, so whether you're a, a brave or a cowardly person or whether you're you know, generous or stingy or whatever, other properties of, uh, of a person's character, um, that might be relevant to moral decision-making. Uh, so if, if our moral character depends on... Uh, if our moral decision-making depends on our our, our character, um, in, what, in what sense can we be held accountable for that decision-making? Um, uh, it, it seems as if our decision-making is in some sense um, a result of our character uh, and would accordingly be outside of our control. Um, and, and, and for Kant, we can only ever be uh, held accountable for what's under our control. Uh, and then so Kant um, sort of bites the bullet and says that actually our moral character is itself the function, uh, is itself a result of uh, a, a choice. So there's a sort of um, choice by the transcendental subject. So outside of experience or before experience, there's a sort of choice you, you, you sort of choose to be um, a cowardly person, or a brave person, or or whatever other set of um, principles of of uh, uh, that make up a, the character of a person, um, and 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 so this is a I think a pretty weird explanation of what it means or what the relationship is between um, moral responsibility and uh, and character. Um, it's it sort of um, it, it solves the problem by introducing this um much bigger problem i, I think of what we could mean by a choice of uh, uh, of character and and even further is the problem that um this choice of character has to be done by um, a, a subject that itself doesn't have any character so there's no um uh like if if the the character of the empirical subject is something that is determined by this choice of the transcendental subject, then uh, the transcendental subject itself can't have any character. And then, so it, it it's not at all obvious how the transcendental subject is supposed to choose one character over another. Um, there it doesn't seem to be any basis for one choice over another. Um, so it seems, uh, in some sense, arbitrary which which character um, uh Would be chosen. Uh, Yeah, uh, you can choose a a character that understands philosophy without any, uh, without any issues. That would be nice. Um, 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 Yeah, but so Simondon was going to um, uh, differentiate his position from this one of Kant's. uh, And so he's going to suggest that the relationship between the transcendental subject and the empirical subject is one of uh problems to solutions or or something along those lines. So that um uh instead of having um the transcendental subject make this this sort of choice outside of experience or before all experience, um we instead have the transcendental subject or you know the human insofar as as the human is uh, a knowing subject and a, a rational agent—it um, uh, it sort of poses problems for themselves. So there would be problems of—I um, don't know—whether uh, um, to be brave or cowardly. I guess would be a problem. Um, and uh, the empirical subject is a choice of uh, of those um, of those. Uh, Characters or a solution to those problems. So it's it's not that um, it's not that the transcendental subject makes a choice prior to experience, but each uh, each empirical subject corresponds to a, a choice of solutions to those problems. Um, so the, the transcendental subject is uh, a sort of um, uh, abstraction or um, abstracts. Uh, Entity, I guess. Um, whereas the uh, the empirical subject is a, a concrete entity or a particularized entity that uh, that uh, is is particularized in all respects, um, as opposed to the the transcendental transcendental subject being um, uh, this sort of universal um, that is not particularized. And then he introduces again this third term. Um, so we have the um, uh, empirical subject and a transcendental subject or the uh, individualization or the the individual as individualized and the individual uh, as individual. Um, and then the third term is personality. Uh, and this is a sort of unification of uh, of these two previous terms. So um, the human being. Is not uh, is not a pure individual or purely individualized, um, but uh, he he says a mixture here. But I think he means more like a unification, um, a unification of the two. So um, he he gives a, a, a brief um, allusion more than an example here, but he suggests that. Um, uh, an example of individuation uh, would be sexuality. Um, um, and then an example of individualization is, uh, or or what we can understand uh, by individualization is the uh, contingent events of everyday life. Uh, and then personality would be some sort of unification of the two. So it would be a situation in which um, a person's sexuality and their sort of contingent-like history are both at work or, or are, are both um, unified in that situation. Um, yeah, so this, uh, right, so we have this mixture, um, or what he calls a mixture, but I think unification might be better. Um, um, and then, uh so, character, insofar as it appears in a human being, is always only um, is always only uh, part of this unification. So we never have this sort of purely um, appearing character uh, in the way that Kant wanted to wanted us to have. Um, and and so we have this um, analysis of. Uh, what we have in the translation here, unstable person, le caractériel. Um, so, uh, and yeah, so in French, this uh, this term uh, is related to the, the word for character. Um, but here, the, the idea is that um, this is a person who um, is uh, indecisive or who, who lacks, like in English, we say someone lacks character. Um, uh, someone who doesn't sort of stand up for their the principles that they claim to believe in or or that doesn't um, follow through on things that they promise to do and and so on um, uh, so So this person is someone uh, in whom the uh, personality is uh, is not uh, healthy or not uh, fully developed. So personality as a unification of of this in level of the individual and level of individualization um, and, and this this unification is not fully developed in this person or or has um, has decayed or, or gone awry in some sense uh, and then Angus had a, had a question about um, uh, right about the point about sexuality. Um, and sexuality would seem to be at the level of psychic individualization. Um, and yeah, so this is maybe a point where um, the, um, the identification that I had suggested between um, individuation and the vital on the one hand, and then individualization and the psychic on the other hand, I think that might sort of break down here. Um, and so that's maybe why we can only really regard that as a sort of first approximation um so sexuality is something that um sort of goes uh across the boundary between the vital and the psychic right um so obviously there's a uh sexuality um is something that uh exists in animals and plants and and other organisms um that are like aside from humans uh and uh uh it's something that even in humans has a sort of, um, uh, uh, vital aspect to it. So it's something that is, um, related to our, our vital individuation, but then there's also, uh, a clear psychic aspect to it as well. Like, uh, it has to do with the way that we are organized as, um, uh, mental, uh, mental beings or psychic beings, uh, so that, um, sexuality sort of um goes across the boundary of these two uh these two forms of individuation and so yeah this this is sort of um uh, a problem case i think um for that that sort of clear distinction between the two um but i think what he means by saying that um that sexuality um is uh, uh corresponds to the, the the type of individuation rather than individualization is that um, uh, insofar as someone belongs to a certain sex or insofar as someone is uh, a man or a woman or uh, insofar as they belong to that sex, they they um, they are not particularized as this individual man or this individual woman, uh, or I should say this particular man or this particular woman. Um, so they they have a, a sex and they belong to that sex um, as something that is not particularized uh, and it's only um, it's only they're only um, particularized uh, uh, or sorry I should say they 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 have that sex um, as non particularized and then they they only um become particularized by sort of going beyond the, the level of, of sexuality um, uh, into more particular details, I guess we can say. Uh, I'm not sure if that explanation makes sense, uh, but um, it's, uh, so being being a man or being a woman is a sort of generic uh, property. It's not a, a particular property that, um, that uh, distinguishes one a particular person from another uh i think that's the sense in which um sexuality uh occurs at the level of individuation as opposed to individualization
2: well that's a very difficult space to be in to try to uh have explanatory power around um or yeah have a clarity in in the explanation of what uh maybe going on for Simon Doan for one, there's definitely, I guess this is more of an in individualization aspect, but it's the, um, the historical that's influencing, I think Simon Doan in com in, in you ut- utilizing that as part of, uh, of this case, or as an example, this, how, uh, Sexuality um, bind bound with the other property um, trying to find it here what what he coupled sexuality with as part of the um, individuation process. I think it's individuation um, so I found that to be somewhat problematic on this topic. Um, because <clears throat> he's having the um, the influence, I think, of where he is in a, a, probably a spatial temporal sense, um, leading him to uh, utilize sexuality uh, to enforce or, or not to enforce, but reinforce his um, his point. So that's my critique of that. I think there is a lot going on here. He always introduces another term, too. that's like he he elaborates on something, and then he's like, "And then there's this, like uh you know, and then there's the interpersonal. It all leads uh, the individuation and personality and stuff, and then there's another term. so he he has these um particular types of logic that he deploys. Um, which makes it complex because it's obviously there's a lot of complexity to the way he's organizing his arguments. It brings up a few different images for me as he goes through these kind of uh, textual spaces. Um, For one, I had a question around going back to the universality. And the idea of, and how he then sort of weaves that into the synthesis, it seemed, of the transcendental ego or transcendental subject and the empirical subject. I guess I should pose a question. My question is, it says here, the subject as a result of individuation, that it incorporates a milieu of a priori's or priors. The subject, as the milieu and agent of the progressive discoveries of signification in the signals that come from the world, is the principle of the a posteriori or the um, evidence in an empirical sense, um, the objects. for lack of a better word, the things that may be occurring in space. Um, So I'm not quite sure how far he goes in um, distinguishing himself from Kant, actually, in this section. Because he says that the transcendental ego isn't really the the particular arity or the state. Too much, I think, um, or well enough. Um, Because it's not clear to me whether the choice is something that we then experience as having uh, made, we experience as having a, a choice looking back on it through some sort of action that was taken by the empirical subject. So there's really no choice. It's kind of a passive thing that he seems to, and I could be wrong in my interpretation. I probably am. But it seems that uh, it's kind of a passive state of the choice that uh, exists for the transcendental subject. Um, So that's where I don't necessarily know how he provides an explanation of how choice becomes a particular kind of knowledge. Um, It seems there's a a loophole where that particular type of knowledge around a choice is is still something that the transcendental subject can contemplate and yet the only experience of the choice can happen for the empirical subject. So maybe that's a question of point of clarification. Seems he attributes the um, experience of having made a choice um, through the empirical subject as opposed right. to a transcendental subject looking back and saying, um, or what what I think you may have pointed out earlier in my interpretation, what you said earlier was that the, the transcendental subject has this illusion of, its subjectivity based on prior choices that it made. And so that's where I'm a bit confused around that term, the use of of that term. And then, you know, there's also the difficulty of the closing where I started to sort of picture uh, the coupling, the interpersonal coupling of two people, um, you know, in terms of uh, the discussion around personality, and then he introduces it, it's uh, coextensive. I'm not sure if he meant, in particular that uh, that coextensiveness refers to a coupling, but he goes on to explain the ensemble of two people and what takes place with two people. And then his closing remark on that is definitely something maybe we can unpack. So there's a lot going on towards in this section um maybe we want to start with the last thing and then or with choice but the the last part of this is interesting too maybe you can talk about that
0: yeah yeah thanks for reminding me about that last bit because I didn't um talk about that um, so he talks about here the um, what is called the communication of consciousnesses um, and this is a, a a sort of term uh I think we see this in in nineteenth uh, century psychology, or um, uh, there was a whole like late nineteenth century um, uh, sort of uh, renewal of interest in um, things like en- extrasensory perception, uh, telepathy, and so on, um, and and there were a number of scientists who tried to um, who tried to prove that telepathy existed or or didn't exist um or you know investigate you know how it works and so on um and and so this idea of a communication of consciousness is is, is sort of tied to that idea and, and and there's the idea that um um there's some sort of uh, relationship between one person and another which goes beyond um sort of communication in the the normal sense of the term but um which uh is a, a sort of direct um a direct knowledge of each other's minds or something like that uh, and so Simon uh here what he argues is that um there's uh what we can sort of describe as this communication of consciousness is um has to be understood in terms of something prior to consciousness. Um, so uh, this interpersonal relationship doesn't happen between two already constituted personalities or two are already constituted um people. Um, it's only insofar as there's this uh, uh, pre-individual that is not yet constituted um, that you can have something like a, a communication of consciousnesses. Um, so some sort of uh shared understanding that goes beyond um verbal communication um, and so there there this communication of consciousness depends on something prior to consciousness this this pre-individual level uh and and then there would have to be um uh this um joint joint individu- individualization um uh, this community of individuation and of individualization between the two people, um, and, and and this is what sort of gives us the uh, phenomenon or the uh, effect of communication of consciousnesses.
2: But I kind of pictured <clears throat> this last uh, description. Um, in the more relational sense, where, like, let's say you have a couple, a man and a woman, given the the, the rest of this paragraph, and they sort of communicate um, or have these aspects of um, signals and uh, signification that they may exchange through language back and forth, like let's say in a party setting where, um, and again, my interpretation of the individualization happens from an experience with uh, the milieu. So the individual's individualization uh, is dependent upon the uh, empirical idea of, the, of a milieu And so in this case, it's a, you have a coupled relation. He, he kind of hints towards it or touches into the idea of the level of um, individualization that happens uh, or individuation that happens to the, a couple as one, given the level of, uh, communication that they have and I kind of refraining from the consciousnessness element of that communication but uh, it seems that he's sort of speaking to that kind of uh, scene
1: yeah one one thing that is uh, sorry to kind of keep keep coming back to this but it seems like in this um, interpersonal relation point he's talking about... How there has to be a communication between the both of the in both of the individuations as well as both of the individualizations so that again it's kind of unclear to me what the uh common individuation would be that would make um, interpersonal communication possible
2: ah uh, yes that that reminds me too of um what I was interpreting or sensing was that these two people that were part of the um, interpersonal relation had kind of lives of their own. He sort of describes it. It seems that he's describing on a philosophical level that they have this equanimity that involves their lives on their own. And um, they come back together and there's this process that happens um, but that they need to have these partial identities um, that makes their coupling possible. So, uh, and the rest of their individuation happens outside of their um, their participation in one another's lives on the interpersonal level, on a uh, intimate interpersonal level that allows them to have this sort of consciousness connection still requires their partial identities um, apart from their interpersonal relation.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Um, um, I think he, he wants to say that um, this communication of consciousness is uh, if it's understood as some sort of um, full Communication or or full um, uh, coextensivity of two consciousnesses. So so it would be like one person is completely um, uh, coinciding with the other person. Uh, he he says this is um, he says this is rare. Um, but it it's it's not even clear that um, this is something that ever happens. Uh, um, it would seem that um, there's always even in the most um, sort of united pair of people, or um, the most uh, coextensive pair of people, you're always going to have some uh, aspect of one person that is not shared with the other person, uh, and so I think this communication of consciousness is, is to some extent, uh, illusory. Um, so it, it's or it's to the extent that it. Um, appears as if it's this full coextensiveness of the two consciousnesses um to that extent it's illusory and, and it, there's only um a partially shared um uh consciousness or or partially shared domain uh and and then each person has their own uh, particular domain that is not shared with the other um but uh yeah angus raised a good point about um trying to understand what's what the um um why why there's this relation at the level of the individual individuation and at the level of individualization um so why why is, is this relation happening at both levels um and i think um yeah i think I think he's not talking about the collective in the specific sense uh, that he used the term earlier in this book uh, and that he's going to come back to in the next part of the book. Um, I think he's, he's thinking specifically of uh, a couple or um, a close friendship or something like that, um, as opposed to some sort of, uh, as as opposed to some sort of group phenomenon Um but, um I think the level of individuation has to come into the picture here because um, the there there can't be um, in order for something like a communication of consciousnesses even in the partial sense to to happen, um, there can't be something like a completion of either of the people before they come into this uh, into this um, relationship. Uh, of communication of consciousnesses, so they they have to be um, incomplete in some sense uh, and and so that uh, the level of individuation has to um, has to uh, not be finished or not be completed uh, before um, before this uh, um, before this relationship can can occur. Um, I think that's what he has in mind here. And and so he talks about for personality, um, there can't be completed personality before the relationship. Um, um, yeah, so and then personality, of course, is is the unification of the level of the individuation and individualization. So yeah, I think Something along those lines, I think, is is what he has in mind with that. Um, why individuation has to be part of the um, part of the relationship uh, in communication of consciousness. Um, yeah. So let's let's go on to the next um, subsection, which is a, a short one. We um, can probably read it in one go. I think it's one big paragraph. Uh, so if someone else would like to read from uh, the the heading, uh, the relation to the milieu. I can read that. Sure, go ahead. Section two, the
2: relation to the milieu. The interpersonal relation shares some resemblance with the relation to the milieu. However, the relation to the milieu forms either on the level of individuation or on the level of individualization. It is established on the level of individuation through emotion which indicates that the individual being's principle of of existence are called into question. Fear and cosmic admiration affect the being in its individuation and situate it within itself, once again, relative to the world. These states consist of forces that challenge and call on the being to affirm its existence as an individuated being. This relation is situated on the level of individualization when it touches the being in its particularity through the property of familiar familiar things or habitual and regular events, i.e. things and events that are integrated into the rhythm of life are unsurprising and can be integrated into prior frameworks. The impression of deep participation or normal perception are the aspects of these two rapports. These two types of relation rarely combine, but instead succeed one another in life. On the contrary, the personality involves the presence of the two aspects and the experience that corresponds to the personality is relative to two conditions. It partially involves challenging and questioning individuation as well as a modification of individualization, thereby resulting in an integration into acquired frameworks. The relation to other calls, uh, I'm sorry, the relation to others calls us into question as an individuated being. It situates us in an encounter with other people as being young or old, sick or healthy, weak or strong, male or female. However, one is not absolutely young or old in this relation, but younger or older than another, and one is also stronger or weaker. To be a man or woman, a woman is to be a man in a rapport to a woman or woman in a rapport to a man. To speak of simple perception is insufficient here. To perceive a woman as a woman is not to introduce a perception into pre-established conceptual frameworks but to situate oneself both in terms of individuation and individualization with respect to her. This interpersonal relation involves a possible relation of our existence as an individual being with respect to her own. The perceived and the felt are only split off from one another in the illness of a personality. Minkowski brings up the case of a young schizophrenic who wonders why seeing a woman in the streets causes him a specific emotion. He sees no relation between the perception of the woman and the emotion he feels. However, the specific characters cannot suffice to explain the unity of the felt and the perceived, no more than habit or any other principle of exterior unity. The being's individuality can be effectively perceived A woman can be perceived as having a specific particularity that distinguishes her from every other person. But it isn't a woman that she is distinguished in this way. She is distinguished qua human being or living being. The concrete knowledge corresponding to a complete high this woman here, this very woman, is that in in which individuation and individualization coincide. It is a certain expression, a certain signification that makes it such that this woman is this very woman. All the aspects of individuality and of individuation are incorporated into this fundamental expression that the being cannot have unless it is really unified. Gestalt psychology which developed into a psychology of expression, considered signification as a basic reality. Signification is in fact given by the coherence of two orders of reality, that of individuation and that of individualization. The expression of a being is indeed a veritable reality, but it is not a reality that is graspable otherwise than as expression, i.e. as personality. There are no elements of expression, but there are bases of expression, since expression is a re- relational unity maintained in the being by an incessant activity. That is the very life of the individual manifested in its unity. On the level of expression, the being is to the extent that it manifests itself, which is something that is not true for individuation and individualization.
0: Yeah, this is another um, very dense passage. Uh, There's a lot going on in this one long paragraph. Um, Let me just go back up a little bit here. Um, So my apologies
2: uh, uh, to just really briefly about some of this.
0: Yeah, it's it's a bit of a, a strange text to read because there's always these long sentences with like seven or eight semicolons um and uh it's not it's not always obvious how you're supposed to read that um but i think um yeah i think I think we should read those uh long sentences sort of in a in a series um like one one sort of long uh long series of of clauses that are linked one to the other um I think that's sort of the the cadence that he has in mind when he's writing these these types of sentences. Um, yeah, so I was going to say that uh, here. So in the last section, uh, we talked about the relationship of one consciousness to another or one person to another. Um, but here in this section, it's about the um, relationship to the milieu. So um, the relationship of a person to to their uh, to their milieu. Um, and and there's multiple or there's at least two different ways that this um, relation happens or or two different levels at which the relation happens. So at the level of individuation and at the level of individualization, um, and and so on the level of uh, individuation, this is um, this relationship to the milieu uh, takes the form of emotion. Um, and so the examples that he gives here are fear or uh, cosmic adm- admiration. Um, so these are um, states of the person that uh, um, sort of call into question the individuation of that person. Uh, so the your your being as a person um, is. Uh, is brought into question or, or is something that has to be reformulated or re individuated at, at this level. Um, whereas, for uh, at the level of individualization, um, this has to do with the way, that, uh, the way that the milieu is incorporated into the uh, sort of everyday pattern. Um, everyday pattern of existence Uh, so the way that it fits in with your habits and your um, sort of um, everyday preferences and and so on Uh, the rhythm of your life in general Um, and then personality uh, is again the integration of these two forms uh, of relation to the milieu or these two aspects of relation to the milieu so in the the sort of normal human being, Um, we have both this emotional uh, relation to the milieu that that calls into question our individuation. And then we also have this sort of incorporation of the milieu into um, our habits and our everyday rhythm of life. Uh, And and those two aspects are integrated with each other in some sort of coherent way. And uh, sort of... um, psychiatric disorders or, um, disorders of personality, uh, would, would be some sort of incoherence of this relationship. So that in in the case of the, the schizophrenic that he mentions here, um, this, the schizophrenic, um, doesn't understand or doesn't, doesn't see any sort of relationship between the emotional state that he feels and the, the, um, perception of this woman in the street. Um, he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have this sort of coherent um, unification of of the two sides, the uh, emotional side and the um, incorporation into familiar categories side. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's sort of the first part of this um, of this section. Uh, and the second part, I think, has to do with um, the relationship between uh, particularization and uh, and these um, the two sides of individuation and individualization, um, and so we see uh, um, or they're sort of intertwined with each other these two parts uh, or these two threads I guess of of this section, um, but. Um, we have this relation to to our environment or to our milieu um, um, in insofar as we belong to these um, categories or in, insofar as we have these properties so um, you're younger or older than another person or um, uh, to to regard yourself as a, a man or as a woman is to oppose yourself to uh to someone else as a woman or a man um uh to to set yourself as a, a an alternative or as a, a a difference from the other person um and uh yeah at the same time the um the particularity of someone. So uh, uh, this particular woman is, is not particular uh, insofar as she is a woman, but insofar as she is uh, a human being. Um, So this particularization happens um, not at the level of these categories that we um, can sort of assign people to under these um, familiar patterns of life, but um, at the level of individuation. uh, So there's a, Um, a sort of uh, reversal, I guess, or not quite a reversal, but uh, a distinction between what's going on in this section and and what was happening in the previous section, where um, we saw particularization or particularity um, in connection with individualization, uh, but here we have particularity um, happening at the level of individuation. Um, So it's a um, I guess a different um, uh, a different framing of uh, of how particularity happens or or where particularity happens, uh, and then there's also this bit right at the end of this uh, section on um, expression, um, and uh, so Simon Don here is differentiating his position from uh, Gestalt psychology uh, and and this. Um, this idea of expression as um, as uh, sort of the fundamental aspect of personality um, or or of uh, psychic reality. Um, so for Simon Simondon, um, it's only through um, um, sorry, how to put this? Uh, expression is. Um, Is only graspable through perception, through um, personality. So it's only there isn't something like um, the the real personality, uh, which then is expressed in external um, actions or or characteristics of some kind. Uh, The expression and the personality coincide with each other. There's no um, there's no um, difference between the two. Uh, So there. Personality and uh, and expression are coextensive, um, and this so this is uh, this is characteristic of uh, the level of personality. So the the unification of individuation and individualization, um, because at the level of the individual, um, and at the level of individualization, there's um, there is not this same uh, coextensiveness with manifestation. Uh, so there, there's a. Uh, it's only at the level of personality that expression and personality coincide uh, in that same way.
2: Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to put on my um, psychoanalysis hat for just a moment, and uh, say a couple of things. One, this is a very interesting section. Um, where he the one where he starts off and he and he gives the schizophrenic example um, by Minkowski, and then he weaves that into the erotic part of the middle of this text, um, where he gives this idea of this intimacy or high experience with with uh, a woman. This woman here, this very woman, he gives as an object um, to be perceived in terms of uh, um, closeness. But he, call, he he refers to it as a concrete knowledge corresponding to a complete high satiety. is that in which individuation and individualization coincide. And he, and he refers to it as a certain expression, a certain signification that makes it such that this woman is this very woman. And I think at that moment, he, uh, um, is encapsulating some of what he was talking about before about, um, emotion and, and perception. Right, he, he is kind of bringing us closer to I think his idea of perception um, that's happening at this kind of uh, here and now moment where he describes this hetero, um, heterogeneous uh, contact, uh, of closeness with uh, this piousity of a particular woman and then he says that uh, this fundamental expression uh, cannot have, un- cannot be had, I think, to summarize, unless it's really unified. So that brings up an interesting question of what could he have in mind when he is referring to how it becomes unified or more unified? Uh, And then the last point that I want to say is that he can't quite wrangle himself free of this Gestaltian example. And he kind of defers at the end. And maybe that's what leads to what he's going to talk about in the third section. Um, But he does hold the fact that although it seems to me that he's saying that although the Gestalt psychologists are onto something uh, and I picture it as a kind of um, an enactment, right? He's saying that the, uh, particularly the object of the of this woman, her expression cannot be grasped otherwise than as an expression of a personality, right? That the Gestalts would say that this expression is, um, uh, it is connected to or or, or, or really is a, an expression of personality. And it seems like Simon saying, no, that may not actually be the case, although it may appear like that on the surface. He doesn't really go into what he, he calls it an incessant activity, right? A, a sort of maybe the, and then <clears throat> that this activity of expression is kind of an activity. He wants to also make this distinction about the basis of expression. So he, he, he wants to discern that the gestalts refer to the, this expression of the personality um, as part of a misinterpretation of individuation. And that in fact, they're pointing to a basis of expression, since expression is relational and that there's, uh, and he maybe has some sort of contention with the fact that the gestalts are referring to a relational unity, that this expression is a relational unity. And it seems like Simondon isn't happy with that being enough, that they're not going far enough and that they're really not explaining it um, in its nuances the way individuation and individualization actually happens. So maybe he makes a strong case for that in the next section. Um, But I think there's something personal going on here for Simon Doan in the text, too. I might be reading, and I probably am reading into it (laughs) quite a bit. But I I think that um, a young schizophrenic person is that there's a kind of disavowal and usually in schizophrenics, this is a very extreme thing, and I think there's 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 definitely a continual, um, a continuum kind of space. I see my time's up. Okay, but uh, yeah, in terms of the the range of effectual processes that couldn't be involved with individuation. I think for the schizophrenic experience, it's a very extreme thing where there's a disavowal and, and the various behavioral or personality enactments of not being able to um, have a, um, quote unquote, normative, appropriate response to the, to the emotion is sort of extreme. But anyhow, those are, those are my comments and interpretation.
3: I I think like an important thing here is like how we understand human being like and then the keywords if i just pick on the three things is like um the personality and character and then maybe you can think of the importance of like uh the concept of haksery um according according to seongdong like um like the, the moment like the united moment of like individuation, individualization is not that common. So like um, maybe we can call it the moment of hakseiri and the here and now, uh, how the person is perceived like externally, internally, like that may be called a character, like a personality here, Simong uses it as a particular meaning, like kind of incomplete, incomplete um, kind of like a feature which can change like inconsistently. Otherwise, uh, on the other hand, like the character is like, uh, constitutes like a person's or individual, um, individual, how do I say, like um, the um, identity, if I say. So the point here is that even a woman can be perceived as woman by other people, but the person would perceive herself as not the woman. Like which means like uh, sometimes the individual individualization doesn't go together. But the um there is moment of uh which like uh, he, and now the person is a truth. So the point is that like um as a as a consistently changing being, um we can think of like uh, the discrepancy between like um the individualization individual individualization but through the process, something, something new is like a continuously processed, produced. And that's the, the whole point of the, uh, psychic individuation, like how a human being in, in, interacts with his or her own milieu. And then how, um, you know, express, how, how, what kind of expression is made and how that could be different, like a, the true, true being of the, the human being, something like that. So I think we can more focus on the meaning how like this uh, uses the, exp- uh, the 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 concept of personality, and the character, and the discrepancy between um, individualization, individuation, and the moment of I think that's kind of a point of this this part and quite quite interesting, like intriguing, like uh, definitely, it it must have been so it. Must relate related to the next part. Definitely, we can you can find more in the next next session.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Um, um, about this um possible discrepancy between uh, internal and external, or between um between um individuation and individualization. Um, so you can have um you can have, um, this, there's a possibility of, um, yeah, like, as you mentioned, like, someone might be perceived as a woman, but, um, n- uh, not experience themselves as a woman, um, or, uh, any other, um, um, uh, traits that someone might be perceived as having, um, so they, um, they, they, um, I think um, for Simon Don, this would be characterized as a, a sort of um, um, incoherence of, of personality. Um, so it would be, um, uh, it's only in the case where you have this um, coincidence or this uh, um, coextensiveness of. Uh, the internal and the external that you would have um, personality in the proper sense, um, or or, or uh, um, a complete personality. Um, so, uh, insofar as there is this discrepancy between individuation and individualization, um, it means that um, that person's personality is not, um, uh, I guess, fully formed or 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 um, adequate to itself uh, in some sense and so this would generally um, sort of uh, I guess serve as a a kind of motivating principle for a person to to want to try to integrate themselves and and to want to have a coherent personality um, uh, this would be sort of a um, something that a person would strive towards. So I I think when, when he talks about personality here, we can always think of this as something that, um, that is not necessarily realized, but as something that, um, we, we are sort of striving to achieve or striving to realize, uh, in our lives. Um, so it's not, personality is not something that's given, but something that we have to, um, Try to achieve
3: or try to realize it. Yeah, actually, I, I I really would like to ask a question: What woman is like uh, in terms of definition? Or it? I I think that this part reminds me of, in a way, like uh, the word representation, like um, how we de- we define particular personality, um, and then do we need to like a you know like abide by or like a confirm to that kind of like a definition like. I think like Simone is like cast a quite little fundamental question to the uh, the so-called expression, like um, the the you know general generally like uh, shared perception about the uh, the being, like I don't know, like it it maybe like ha- has to do with like a uh, human being is more like a becoming, not the being. Actually, that's kind of delusion, but that definitely delusion was affected by Simondon. So the point is that how we like uh, limit human being to the particular expression, like cause like uh, there could be a ver- a variety of like uh, you know so called expressions. I'm not I I, I don't, I'm not sure like uh, the expression here is the right one, but the, there could be a variety of the the, the forms like uh, as a result of like uh, the uh in the intermingling in the mingling, in, the, in the mix of the. Individuation indiv- ind- individual, individualization, Something like that. So I think Simon Dong is a, is a casting a fundamental question to that.
0: I think I think that's right. Um, I think um, I think Simon Dong wants to um, move away from a conception of uh, of either character or personality as something that is a, a fixed. Uh, like essence of a person, um, so that um, uh, a person would have some sort of fixed character that um, that would be like uh, the true reality, and then they would have expression of that character or, or of that personality as a sort of secondary phenomenon. Um, he instead wants us to think of personality as um, as something that exists only in its expression, uh, and and so this is something that that is only realized through time um, over the course of a lifespan. Uh, so we we only ever um, uh, have a personality insofar as we express uh, a certain preference um, uh, kind of or a certain um, uh, type of uh, uh, action or or so on. Um, uh and so there's there's this um co-extensiveness of expression and personality that i think he wants us to um sort of reorient our our understanding toward. okay so we're um pretty close to uh time and uh we're at a, a natural stopping point here at the end of this section so i would suggest that we stop here for today um and then we can pick up at uh, subsection three next time, if that works for everyone.
3: Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Okay, cool. Um, So yeah, let's do that. Um, Let me just put in the chat where we are so that I don't forget for next time. Yeah, so thank you everyone for for joining in and for your participation and uh, hope to see you all next week.
3: Thank you so much.
2: See you Thanks, next time.
1: Thanks, everyone.